You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Myaga Nation podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle, joined always by Travis Brown, the Eagles' Aggie sports reporter. What's going on, Travis? A lot. It's busy. It's supposed to not be the busy time, but there's all kinds of stuff going on as we uh, we're, we're going to talk about here. Yeah, for you know, it's it's peak off season when you're talking about the next year when you've still got the current season ahead and and that's exactly what what happened this week because the big news of the week was the sec unveiled its 2024 conference schedule Mm -hmm. which of course coincides with the entrance of texas and oklahoma to the league which we've known is has been coming and the question was was a&m gonna play texas and where we knew they were probably they were you can't add texas and not have a&m play them but the question was where and the Aggies are going to host the Longhorns in the first game back since 2011. Dates to be determined. We can talk about that in a minute. But, Travis, what what'd you kind of make of A&M's schedule uh, for 2024? Yeah, well, when you look at uh, the all of the schedules on, on, on the whole, it, A&M got out pretty good. Uh, they don't have to play Alabama. They don't have to play Georgia. Nope. Um, they only have to play, uh, as far as the, the, the successful teams over the last little bit, uh, LSU, um, Auburn, Florida, and then we'll see how Texas adapts to um, and adjusts to SEC play that season. But if you want to look across, and I was trying to kind of glance across and look, they might have the most favor- favorable schedule of any of the, uh, the teams listed out here in that season uh and it'll be another year with some of these young guys uh who have part of that 2022 class who are uh kind of moving into more veteran positions by that time yeah i mean when when you look at it, it there's no such thing as an easy schedule in the sec but there is manageable AM's got manageable i think i saw um one of our lee colleagues dave matter from the st louis post dispatch he covers missouri mm-hmm. he's he noted that when they were putting together the schedule the the sec they they did they did a balance sheet where they took your league record whether it was from the sec or the big 12 over the last 10 years from 2012 to 22 and they ranked those teams one to 16. a came in seventh they play numbers four five six 8, 9, 10, 11, and 13. 13 is Arkansas. Mm-hmm. 4, I think, was LSU. So when you look at the distribution, that's about as even as it's going to get. And, you know, even though Arkansas is 13, uh, they've been playing a lot better the last couple seasons. So that's a little misleading. I think they're probably more of on par right now with a, you know, maybe a 9 or a 10. So. I thought that was kind of interesting when you looked at kind of the distribution of things. Sure. Um, I, I, I just go back to saying A&M got out great with this. You, you say there's not easy schedules. There's manageable. This is more than manageable, when it, at least in terms of SEC 
Cali- especially being in the SEC West for as long as A&M was in the SEC West, uh, compared to the SEC West, this is more than manageable. Uh, that should be an, a season they should have a breakout. A couple of other bullet points is, you know, they, they didn't decide yet on if they're going to do the eight or nine uh, teams SEC schedule moving forward. That's why we kind of have this hodgepodge of a, of a first season. Um, but one of the big selling points for moving away from the divisional system and moving into one of these new systems for the past, I don't know, two or three years was the fact, well, you know, since A&M came into the conference in 2012, Georgia has never come to College Station. Well, Georgia still has <laughs> won't have come to College Station after this season because they didn't put Georgia on the list. And I see how they kind of did that formula to make it um, equitable for everybody but and that they will have – LSU is kind of one of those rivalries that they're trying to keep who who had a has had a winning record over that spell and and so I, I get it but man it seems kind of silly that Georgia isn't coming to College Station after so many people talked about Georgia coming to College Station. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I thought. I was like, you know, it's kind of funny that Georgia's going to go to Austin before they come to College Station. By the way, AM still hasn't been to Lexington, Kentucky. Right, either. and that's not on the list and either. That's not on the list either. They were, I think AM was penciled in to go there in 25. Mm-hmm. So, hey, could still happen in 25. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought that was kind of weird that that they did that and then you know you look at you look at the teams from the eastern teams that AM's playing okay they're playing south carolina who's been their permanent opponent since 2014 hey, but th- that's okay because we we care about the bottom trophy mm-hmm. so um personal bias and you can still riff on the south carolina state fair there of course. you go but you look at Florida. This will be the fifth time AM's played Florida since they joined the SEC. Third since 2020, by the way. Mm-hmm. And then Missouri. AM played Missouri in 2013, 2014, and they played them last year when they went up to Columbia. So this will be the fourth meeting. So, you know, I get why the SEC did what they did, but it also kind of made you feel that they could have changed it up a little bit because the whole point of this was to get teams to rotate more. But honestly, that's probably going to be a mute point because they're going to they're gonna play everybody twice in a four-year span going forward. So in five years, it's not really going to matter. Yeah, I, 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 that, that is true. I, I also um, don't know why they couldn't have just decided what everybody sees as the logical uh choice moving forward for this and that is to go to the nine game schedule with the three permanent opponents i get there are some people in the conference some administrators uh, from some of the teams who sometimes might struggle to be uh bowl eligible i mean a&m was one of those teams last year even though we know that they've gone on the record that they're strongly uh for the nine game schedule saying that eliminating one of the other uh kind of patsy games you know looking at this 2024 schedule for a&m mcneese bowling green new mexico state and putting another sec team in there i mean think about this conversation you take mcneese out and you put in georgia okay i get that (laughs) but the fact of the matter is you can beat around the bush all you want all college sports and college football is about now is making money you make more money. The athletic directors make more money. The schools make more money when they have that extra football game on campus that's an SEC game and not a McNeese game or a Bowling Green game. AM does have it good. I will give 
props to the AM fans because those the, the tickets for the SEC games are such a hot commodity usually that when you get to the McNeese, the Bowling Greens, the New Mexico states, that the stadium still is pretty full because that's the games that the people who have season tickets give their tickets away to someone else who doesn't get to come to a lot of games or stuff like that. And so there's there's a big enough of alumni base and a big enough of a following that uh, those games still fill. But at a lot of places, they don't. And no, they there's a lot less money made compared to uh, when you have these SEC games. So that's just my kind of hot take on that is, is what are we doing here, guys? I, I thought by every action that any of these entities in the in college sports has made over the last three or four years, if not more than that, is about making money. There's more money to be made um, because bull payouts, yeah, bull payouts for college football playoff games, you, you get some good money there. Bull payouts for just getting bull eligible, sometimes those payouts go to all the tickets that they can't sell because people don't necessarily want to go to those lower tier bowls and they don't end up bringing in a whole lot of money. Well, and you think about the impact to the town. We live in a college town. This town thrives in the fall on the hospitality aspects of things. A game day weekend means a lot to the hotels and the restaurants and the other businesses here in town, especially if you have a team like Georgia or Texas or Notre Dame coming in. Mm-hmm. That, that is another factor we haven't addressed there, too, there. One, we can get to it in a second if we want to, is that Notre Dame is the Power 5 non-conference um, team that's on the schedule for that year. They'll be coming to Kyle Field that year. Um, but also... That's going to be the last year of the contract for the A&M Arkansas game right. in Dallas. And we've already heard from both ADs, especially uh, Ross Bjork, that they want that game to return to the campus after that contract expires. And, the, and Hunter Juracek said the same thing, right? right? So, right. yeah, I mean, that that's going to that's gonna definitely uh, – that wasn't a surprise to see that Arkansas was going to be on the schedule because you – They had to be. They, had yeah. to, they literally had to be because you had to fulfill that contract. So – Definitely not a surprise to see the Razorbacks on there. So, Travis, here's the question. Hainem in Texas, it's coming back. Does the game is the should the game be played on Thanksgiving weekend or should Hainem keep LSU there? Um, I, I mean, I think the game should be played on Thanksgiving weekend. I, I think that this is now now that ever since AM left the Big Twelve. Any relationship that has to do with football between those two schools, whether it be administrators or fans, has just turned into this giant pissing competition. And the now that they have to play every year, I fully expect there to be more of the drama and the back and forth, even though they're still in the conference. And the only thing that they really have to play on that now is when the game is played and, and arguing back and forth and both teams saying, well, they're not our real rival anymore, blah, blah, blah. We don't, we, you know, we want to play LSU because that's our real Thanksgiving. Okay, cool. That's not true. No. The game should be played on Thanksgiving. Um, I, part of me with how everything has gone between these two schools since 2012, 2011, 2011 really, I don't expect it to be played on Thanksgiving. I expect it to be, you know, okay, well, this is just another team on our schedule and we'll just play them whenever, which is a disservice to both the fan bases and the tradition of, of the game. And yeah, I know that um, 
it, they have the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving now, and they've moved that. So it might be a situation where they put it if they fill it into that week's slot, um, it could be put in um, the Friday. Uh, I, I definitely of that week. The other thing to consider here too is the fact that in the twelve-team playoff format, things are going to get sh- shaken around, and and we don't know necessarily if some of those rival if rivalry week is still going to exist on um, Thanksgiving week like that. They they just haven't come to some of those conclusions with um, the the kind of formatting and and the weeks that things will be played and. And if they really want those rivalry games to be still be played, then that's everything is, of course, with all this can all be up in the air. So that there's a little bit of a caveat there. But yes, in a vacuum, that game should be played on Thanksgiving. You, you've been around that game a lot longer than, you know, I grew up in Dallas. Yeah. I didn't really have a connection. I, so so when it comes to UT, it was always Texas OU for at, at the fair. You've been around this game a lot longer. Yeah. I mean, I, I went three times growing up and I mean, it was... the last time it it was I'm pretty sure it was on Thanksgiving day and it was we had dinner or lunch with the family and then it was off to Kyle Field I mean it was that was all that had to be said I mean the the thought of Anum not playing playing Texas on Thanksgiving day or just the weekend in general because for a number of years it had been on Black Friday Mm -hmm. which I think would be a great landing spot the night of Black Friday to to play that game I think that would be a really good time to do that but yeah i mean that that's just that's the way it goes i mean you you eat you eat thanksgiving and you go to the game i mean that's how it was growing up and so you know i i think it'd be silly not to play it on thanksgiving weekend given the tradition because if rivalry weekend stays intact which i'm sure it will because imagine moving the iron bowl or the game off of that weekend those or the Egg Bowl. I mean, those three games in itself that are some of the most heated rivalries in college football, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Clemson, South Carolina, Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, USC. I mean, all those games on that weekend, it would be so weird to move them away. And Texas and Texas A&M fit just so naturally into that weekend and had been naturally on that weekend as a marquee game for a number of years. I can't. I can't see why they would. They would not do that. Um, and I think it'd be silly. So you. You've probably never been to an A and M Texas football game, have you? No, I haven't actually. Yeah. Um, I, I never went to the uh, Red River Shootout either because that wasn't schools that my family was affiliated with. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I'm excited to see see what it's all about here in two years. Yeah. I mean, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a it's gonna be a crazy day in College Station to say the least. Travis, last thing on the 2024 schedule. We talked about how this schedule sets itself up to be rather manageable, potentially manageable for the Aggies. You talked about how that 2022 class, they're going to be juniors that year. That said, how critical now is it for AM to to have success this fall to possibly springboard into what could set up to be uh, a, a, a good a good chance to to make it big, especially with the expanded playoff coming that season. Well, yeah, and that's part of the intrigue of all of this is the fact that everyone's going to be talking about 2024 because that's when everything changes. But it's not like the 2023 season doesn't count. Um, they're still going to go out and play a full season. They're still going to be a champion. There's still games to win. There's still questions to be answered about this A and M 
coaching staff and a new offensive coordinator and what the offense is going to look like and how that entails. So there's still so much to focus on on this season uh, leading in into that season. Um, I, you know, I, it, it could be for a really there could be even more drama that leads into that season if A&M doesn't have a good season this year and and um, what that leadership looks like. Uh, heading into that 2024 season, there is still a lot to sort out when it comes to A&M uh, and Texas, for that matter, uh, before that game gets played and just before they hit that 2024 season. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting and important, I think, to not skirt, not not write the 2023 season off to get to 2024, because that's at least where a lot of the conversation is now. Right, which I think is totally fair. Well... Let's switch gears a little bit. We've been looking way ahead, so let's look back a little bit, but also ahead and put a bow on... I'm, I just gave me whiplash. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> but let's put a bow on A&M's 2023 baseball season. The Aggies, of course, got to the regional final in Stanford, got beat by the Cardinal twice. You were out there, Travis. You know, what What are you going to take away from this Texas A&M baseball season? Um, they, they, for the most part, were able to accomplish what they were trying to do, and that was carry over the offensive impact that, that the 2022 team had. Because uh, you want to go back to that team. They're pitching, especially at the beginning of the year, it was their bullpen that was really kind of a bugaboo for them. And uh, Jim Schlossnagel said frequently leading up to that college rules, you know, in the regular season saying teams don't swing their way to Omaha. Well, A&M very much swung their way to the national semifinals two seasons ago because their pitching was just so up and down. They were able to carry that over for the most part, especially when they got into conference play um, last season. But the pitching fell off even more last year than where it was the, the year prior. They, they couldn't throw strikes this year. Uh, a lot of walks, a lot of hit batters, um, a lot of wild pitches, a lot of free bases is what they, they call it, winning the free base where they didn't necessarily win that a whole lot this year. And so there's going to be some big question marks about how they can necessarily bolster um, that, that pitching staff. Because if you want to look back at the season, a whole lot of the, the, the troubles – came from starting pitching. They went through the entirety of the SEC regular season without having a starting pitcher record a win, uh, the statistical category of a a win uh, in the game. The first one was actually um, uh, Troy Wansing in the SEC tournament uh, in his uh, one-hit, almost perfect game bid uh, there to start off the SEC tournament. So, um, but, But then when you kind of put a pin in that argument... And I know this is maybe something you were about to ask, too. You put a pin in that argument. Then you go towards the fact that they have the potential to, to lose. I don't think they'll lose all of these people, but they have the potential to lose their entire starting lineup from that Stanford regional, except for Jay Slaviolette and uh, uh, Max Coffer, the catcher. Um, everyone else is either draft eligible or is a, a senior and graduating. Um, so it could be a very, very different looking A&M lineup uh, this upcoming season than it was uh, even last year. Yeah. Who who do you have your eye on as guys that are ones to watch as the draft kind of unfolds here in the next few weeks? I think the most interesting one is Trevor Warner. Um, he is one of those guys that at times put up great stats, got the key hit, did what he did. But, you know, 
Jim Schlossnagel kind of nicknamed him uh, SEC Poi or, or Sec, Sec Poi <laughs> uh, for SEC Player of the Year because he said he has the potential, he has the tools of a player to be that kind of SEC Player of the Year caliber player. And I mean, that don't, don't when I say he didn't live up to that, that's not really a shot at him because there's only one of those guys and and that's a high 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 bar to achieve he still achieved a lot while he was at uh, A&M and was a very good player for the Aggies but he's kind of that interesting case of uh, if you want to talk about it in football terms he is he is tooled out he is a, a freak athlete but he didn't necessarily have the tape I mean he didn't have enough tape to be like that dead set okay well you're going to be a top two round guy um, but he does have top two round ability. So I'll be interested to see. I, I would be surprised if he came back. Um, I think this would be the year for him to go. But there's always that. There, there, there's always the caveat of NIL um, because that's a big factor, especially in baseball more than some other sports. Uh, and then um, you, you have to factor in maybe he wants to get another shot at things. Maybe he uh, sees that there could be more to this team next year. I, I don't know, but I would venture to guess he'd be gone. Jack Moss is another one. He was a, just finished his junior season, and um, he'd be draft eligible. Um, and he, you know, everyone's already, already his nickname is the professional hitter. Uh, and so he can literally go be a professional hitter uh, if, if uh, you know, the draft allows. So some of this, you know, the, the baseball draft is different than just about any other draft in that they can wait and see where they go and make a decision uh, after that. Um, it's not like they have to declare for the draft like they do in other sports. Um, so it could be a, an amount of seeing where they wind up in that draft, which is uh, the, the around the, the 16th, the, the, the right same, literally the same time as SEC media days uh, of July. Um, <laughs> but there, there's that to factor in uh, Jack Moss, Trevor Warner, um, Hunter Haas. Hunter Haas uh, could be another one. That's he, he's draft eligible. That could be thrown in there. Uh, that that's yes. He was their second best hitter this year, uh, and would be a loss. They they do have some cover there in Caden Kent, who um, everyone wanted to talk about. Uh, Jim Schlossnagel joked that he was the 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 backup quarterback of the team, the guy that everybody wants to see. Uh, and he played. He started one game there. Was a good player. And you have. Um, uh, a transfer in coming in from Cal State Northridge, uh, uh, Ali C- C- Carmillo, uh, I believe. Camarillo. Camarillo, um, who uh, put up some really, uh, really big numbers in the, in the Big West, uh, hitting-wise, uh, and uh, pretty good defensive gloves. So they're, they're, they're pretty squared away there. The interesting part is pitching, they probably return, they, they do return a decent amount. They return Troy Wansing, uh, uh, Chris Cortez. They had to bring Ryan Prager back, who was in the starting rotation two years ago, but suffered Tommy John surgery and could easily slot into um, the, 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 the starting rotation. They bring back um, Justin Lampkin, who was a freshman, who was in the starting rotation. Um, another interesting one, maybe, could be Evan Oshenbeck. He's kind of the opposite of Trevor Warner. He doesn't necessarily have the lights out stuff, but he had the numbers. He had the tape this year. Um, and, you know, this might be a case of uh, get paid when you, while you can get paid because he, he, you know, he's a lefty that tops out at the upper 80s that isn't, you know, technically MLB stuff, but the dude throws a lot of strikes. He throws a lot of strikes. And um, his control is great. And, you know, control can win you, uh, win you ball games even at the next level. So 
a lot of question marks to, to be had with this team. Uh, and then, there, of course, the recruiting class that comes in. I think they have 20 guys coming in. Max Coffer is actually technically a part of that recruiting class because he came in right. as a mid-season <laughs> mid, mid uh, or mid, mid-year enrollee, uh, early enrollee. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating because there is the potential that they're going to have to do a lot to revamp this lineup. And you might even see more if the peak guys go that could possibly go, you could see even more transfer portal activity this season than in any year prior. But that's not necessarily an indictment on a coaching staff or a program anymore because that, that's kind of the, the, the way that this works now in, in, in all sports, but college baseball too. And every year could be a complete revamp of the roster. Well, and just a quick look at the transfer portal. I mean, there's some there's some pretty big names in there right now that – you know, see if AM can land any of those guys. But I mean, Jim Slosnagel's shown he 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 he's active in the portal and he will get guys that he he wants to come in and, and put into certain roles from the get go. Yeah. The last I checked, AM, just for a matter of clarification, uh, JD Gregson is the only AM player um, from last year's roster that's in the transfer portal as the last time I checked. So um, they're not losing anybody to that so far. Y- you always will probably expect you, – you carry a lot of pitchers on these teams. If guys aren't throwing, you'll probably expect to see a couple guys go every year. It's just going to be the nature of the beast. But as of right now, um, that's he's the only one that was in the, uh, the transfer portal catcher. Well, Travis, we've covered our bases – on Adam's baseball season. It's bad. So great. It's, it's so bad. great. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Myagonation Podcast. Be sure to check all of our coverage at theeagle.com. We have plenty of things coming, even though it is summertime. So stay cool, and we'll see you next time. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, a way to must have seems. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good loving needs a girl, we know that's true. And if we want to keep it, we got to watch everything that we do. Yeah, yeah. Just want to make sure my baby, make sure you're sticking with me. I wanna make sure that we'll be 